Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. May we this day hear the good news once more. Be filled and strengthened to live as your holy people. Lord, we thank you that you have promised to be with us. And that in this moment, we know that you will speak to us. So Lord, we pray that you would occupy the space between my mouth and the ears and hearts of your people. Lord, that it would be your truth that takes root. And everything else would be scattered to the side. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you continue to reach out to us. And Lord, give us the courage to reach out to those around us. And we will give you the honor and the praise and the glory for you are worthy. Amen. So an everyday missionary is an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. At the end of the day, that is, if we boil down what it is to be a follower of Jesus, what it is to be a disciple, what it is to be an everyday missionary sort of person, it is to recognize that we are daily ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. Which means that the love of Jesus is on display where we work, live, and play. So whether we uh, go to work, the love of Jesus is pouring out of us. If we go to the supermarket, the love of Jesus is pouring out of us. If we uh, go to the soccer fields, the love of Jesus is pouring out of us. If we go to the senior center, the love of Jesus is pouring out of us. What it is to, to demonstrate God's love is, is central to who we are and how we live in the world around us. Last week we um, began exploring what it looks like to be an everyday missionary and it had us uh, in the, the Exodus narrative. And we learned that during the Exodus, the only thing that was bigger than God's promise was the people's fear. That God had promised them a, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. Uh, There's only one problem, the people who lived there were big and tough and scary. An everyday missionary knows that the greatest victories are ones that we will not win in our own power. Our greatest victories aren't our victories at all. They are the victories won for us by God that we get to live into. And uh, last week and then again this week and, and, and throughout the Bible, we see this, this logic repeating that God is not in want. God is not broke. God is not poor. God does not need for anything. That as we choose to, to live the, the lives that God has called us to, as we choose lives of obedience, it, it is not to satisfy something internal for God. Uh, God is not insecure. It's not as if we were to be disobedient that God is just a, a weak-willed uh, agent who couldn't take it. The choice to be obedient is about us discovering our greatest life in God. 
And Jesus knows this, obviously. But we see uh, Jesus continually through the Gospels encouraging his disciples to live a life in which they are trusting God completely. To live a life in which they are choosing obedience even when it's hard. Because Jesus knows that the life of fulfillment, the life of, of greatest joy, the life which connects us to the source of power and happiness for the universe is the life lived in joyful obedience to the Father. And Jesus also knows that we cannot live this life of joyful obedience to the Father if we are relating to money in an unhealthy way. We see it uh, throughout the Gospels. Just in, in today's Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 12, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 18, chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 21, and chapter 22, we see Jesus coming back to this theme of having to make the decision between worshiping money or worshiping the security we think we can find in money or worshiping the power we think we can find in money or worshiping the pleasure we think we can find in money or worshiping God, which requires sacrificial giving. Our text for today came from Luke chapter 21. And Luke writes that as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Um, so, uh, we should back up here and realize where Jesus is looking up from. So, if we um, come back just a few verses to 2045. Uh, um, we see Jesus and his disciples are there in the temple outer courts. And while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law, for they like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogue and places of honor at banquets. They devour your widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers, and these men will be punished most severely. Now it's interesting that, that Jesus sets these people up as... Um, what everyone thinks the model uh, follower of God is, and then says, but they will be judged most severely. So, if you go and you talk to the average first century Jewish person living in Jerusalem, and you say, hey, who's, who's the epitome of what it is to be part of, part of Judaism? Who, who, who's got it figured out? They'll say, well... Obviously, it's one of those teachers of the law. They're, they've given their lives to studying the law. But Jesus has another picture in mind. Jesus takes issue first with the teachers of the law who have used their place to both grow wealthy and become too big for their britches, as you might say. But then continuing in chapter 21, Jesus looked up, he saw all the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. 
And he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. For all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Um, a, a while back, I was uh, listening to uh, an Alistair Begg sermon, and he was preaching on uh, this text. Uh, and if you're going to listen to radio preachers, you can do worse than Alistair Begg. I like him a lot. Um, you know, like the rest of us, he's wrong 30% of the time, but he doesn't know it 30%. But, um, you know, he's, he's pretty good. And, and, and the image that he uh, cast is he said, you know, I know if I was one of the disciples and we were sitting in the, the temple outer courts, um, after a while it would become a game um, to try and guess how much someone's going to put into the treasury. You know, depending on what they're wearing coming in. And uh, in the way the, the temple treasury was set up is they had these 13, uh, they looked like trumpets, these like brass horns that people would put their money into. So you can imagine you know, one of these scribes in their flowing robes with um, a big money purse, put it in, and it reverberates through the courtyard, right? Because, you know, it's, it's an all-stone courtyard, so you know there's plenty of reverb in that place. Early reflection, late reflection, you know, cavern reverb here. So, you know, the, the wealthy walk in, ka-chung, ka-chung, ka-chung. And then the widow comes in and blink. And as the disciples are sitting there watching all this, Jesus says, that's the one. That's what it looks like to be faithful. That's what it looks like to trust God. And I don't know about you, but um, the, the way we've typically talked about this story in Sunday school uh, is overwhelming. The idea of, of this widow giving her last two bits. It, it, it draws us back to like the image from, um, from Second Kings with uh, Elijah and um, the, the widow at, at Zarephath. Do you guys remember this story? So Elijah, um, he is you know, he's on the run at this point. Um, and he comes across this widow and her son, uh, and he, he asks her, um, would you bring me a piece of bread? This is from uh, 1 Kings chapter 7. Uh, in verse 11, Elijah says, can you bring me a piece of bread? And in verse 12, she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug, and I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and then die. She doesn't die. She ends up making the bread for Elijah, and God takes care of her. So, so it, 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 on one hand, we, we read this, and it draws back that image of the, the widow at Zarephath, and it's like, is this woman truly putting her last two coins in, and do I have the courage to do that sort of thing? But I'm not sure that's actually what's going on here in this text. Um, you know, some Greek scholars who are smarter than me um, and actually know Greek rather than faking it like I do, um, 
they suggest that uh, it probably wasn't her last two coins, um, but it was probably the two coins that she was going to buy food that day with. Um, you know, remember, this is pre-refrigeration, pre-supermarket. You go to, uh, you know, the marketplace in the morning, you buy the food you're going to eat for that day, and then you go back the next day. Um, which would mean that, you know, her, her gift, it's, it's like, you know, a seventh of her weekly budget. Which is still huge, which is still an incredible sacrifice, but feels a lot more manageable for me. I mean, is anyone else there? Does that, like, does that, does that sort of twist on the story, that possible second reading, say, huh, I can, I can relate to this woman now. I, I can relate because, you know, I, I make out a budget, you know, whether it's for the week or the month or whatever, and I can say, you know, I, I understand what it would look like to take, you know, a seventh of that, you know, budget and, like, the, the, the sacrifice that is without it feeling like that impossible sacrifice um, with the way we typically read it in Sunday school. But either way, it's, it's an incredible decision that this woman makes to trust God. Um, because chances are, she is not getting the 2,000 calories recommended daily by the Food and Drug Administration. Right? I mean, she's, she's scraping by. Like, giving up, like, a, a, a day's worth of meals is a significant sacrifice. And yet she makes it. And it, it, it highlights in Jesus' response... And his praising this woman, it, it highlights a, um, a feature of the divine economy that can sometimes be lost on us. Because in, in our economy, right, it's like, it's, who's got the money, right? Who, who has the most, uh, saves the most, gives the most, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, but in the divine economy, sacrifice is measured proportionally. In the divine economy, uh, one's commitment to, to Christ is not, um, is not determined purely by you know, how many zeros are at the end, but by the amount of sacrifice it took to get there. In your uh, bulletin today, there is a, a sheet. Uh, it's a matrix. It's a printed off spreadsheet sort of thing. Um, and uh, we printed this because I don't like to do math. Um, and maybe you don't like to do math either. And, um, you know, it, it's been my experience that... Um, Learning how to be more generous is a blessing. Um, so yeah, so on one side it's you know weekly income, on the other side it's monthly because some of us get paid bi-weekly, bi-monthly, monthly, 
you know, under the table on Thursday afternoon, however, right? Um, but, you know, uh, this week is as you and your family um, gather together to, to talk about what it looks like to trust Jesus uh, with your finances, um, I encourage you to use the sheet um, because then you don't have to do any math. Um, you know, so, so as we uh, leave today, uh, you'll be handed a, a, a prayer guide for this next week. Um, and it's, it's for the purpose of you know, having your whole family be able to, to come together and to ask the question, you know, what does it look like to, um, to take a step in trusting Jesus more with our finances? Uh, because, you know, ultimately, God's not broke, right? Like, if, if you hear nothing else, hear this. God isn't broke. God isn't impoverished. God doesn't need your money. This is about our own capacity to learn how to trust Jesus with every part of our lives. And um, it's, it's this idea of the first fruit. When, when we uh, commit to setting aside our first fruit, whether it's uh, the first day of our week, the first hour of our day, the first percentage of our paycheck, what it does for us um, psychologically and emotionally and spiritually in learning how to trust Jesus with the rest of our week, with the rest of our day, with the rest of our um, resources, it makes a huge difference. Um, so I encourage you to uh, you know, have those conversations this week. Um, there will be some, some scriptures to read and, and some uh, suggested prayers. Um, but ultimately, this is, this is all about discovering, discovering how to grow in our trust of Jesus. Um, discovering how we can learn how to trust God more. Because we can't relate well to God if we relate poorly to money. You, know, that, you can't read the Gospels and, and not see that. Um, whether it's Luke or Mark or Matthew or John, consistently, uh, this is one of the, the themes of Jesus' ministry, that if we are not using our money intentionally to learn how to trust God, um, then our money will become a hindrance to trusting God. Um, which is kind of a, a terrifying prospect when you think of it. Um, and may begin to explain some of our issues in, in our country, but that's, that's for another day. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I encourage you this week. Uh, whether it's around the dinner table or the breakfast table or, um, you know, just, uh, you know, I think we'll probably do it as part of our uh, bedtime routine with the boys. Um, I encourage you to have conversations as a family. How are, how does our resource management um, help us trust Jesus or how is it, how is it gained in the way? Um, and I really appreciated uh, Peter's story today. Um, that you know, he just jumped in with both feet, and God surprised him. And it shouldn't have been a surprise, but it was. 
Um, it's not that dissimilar from, you know, my experience. Um, so, yeah. So, this week, is, as you go through this process together, as you, um, as you choose to intentionally manage your resources in a way that help you to trust Jesus more, um, know that, that we're praying for one another in this because it's hard. You know, finances are hard. We, we live in a time where um, the, the dominant narrative is that we live in a world of scarcity. We live in a world where there's not enough. So you got to gobble up all you can and hold on to it tight. And, you know, generosities for those weak-willed, yellow-bellied, you know, wimps. But Jesus says it's all God's that he's given to us freely. And if we choose to orient our financial and our resource in the way we use our time, if we, if we choose to, to orient um, the way we use the resources of our lives in such a way to grow in our trust of Jesus, we will discover more and more that life of joyful obedience. We'll discover more and more the good life. And that should be our prayer for one another. Let's pray together. Most holy and gracious God, we choose to trust you. Even when it's hard, we choose to trust you. Because even if our hearts haven't caught up, our brains know that you are trustworthy. So Lord, give us the courage today to have hard conversations. Give us the courage this week to wrestle with what you've said, to wrestle with the example of the widow, so that we too can discover the joy that comes from living lives that are dependent on you, from living lives that are obedient to what you have taught. And Lord, we will give you the honor and the praise and the glory now and forever, for you are truly worthy. Amen.